welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we are talking about vasectomies. Drew comes on to offer his personal experience with the procedure and why he chose to have it. Together, we also talk about being another brick in the wall, the ethical consideration of having children with our current climate change trajectories, and also just the reality that you're never ready for change, ever. And so how do you take those first steps? Y'all, this is an episode you don't want to miss out on, so tune in. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So I suppose, like, where do we begin? Your name's Drew. Yes, I'm Drew Smith. Yes. I'm just a person living yeah. in America, and I'm a white cishet male. What do you do in your life? What are you passionate about? Um, I hate the question of, like, what do you work? Like, what did you do for a job? So yeah. that's why I was like, I don't want to ask that. I know, right? It's cool, though, because I finally found a job I enjoy, which is working in the parks department awesome. outdoors. I used to work in an office job, and yeah. I kind of, like, pursued that. Took a big pay cut and got out of there because mm. it was too much, and, you know. I, didn't, I just kind of inherently don't like being the cogs in the wheels of the system. Yeah. It just seems boring. It seems yeah. like a march, just like what Pink Floyd sings about. <laughs> right. <laughs> what cog in the system were you? Uh, insurance, mortgage, mm. just generic, boring, click on computer stuff to excel. Mm-hmm. Most jobs nowadays are just in an office clicking on stuff. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's good. It provides a living. It provides a wage. It provides insurance and opportunity for a lot of people. I was well off and I still am all right. Yeah. But it's just like, I just felt dead mm. <laughs> going to the office every day, living that life. Could you say more? About yeah. working that way? Yeah. Like, yeah sure. I mean, feeling dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was even really privileged in its own right. Cause like my boss was way hands off. Mm. I went in late all the time and I get in, yeah. in trouble. It was very much a salary position where my job was always done. Cushy. And it wasn't very hard. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have much to do, so I took a lot of liberties. Like, I go to the gym most of the day. Wow. Like, it was also very existential where it's like I realized how futile everything was. I was like, here I am in a position doing just a little bit of work, which is all I'm required to do, but still but nothing. And even the stuff I do accomplish, like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I just helped some back program of insurance connect to another program and a third right. party. So, like, and it created a lot of weird existentialism at that point in my life. And I was like, what is even, I guess I could do this for 50 more years, but yeah. what am I even doing? Right. This isn't a thing. Right. This can't be real. How long were you in that space for? It's like five to seven years worth wow. of, you know, where I felt yeah. jobs downtown in Indy. Yeah. One at Chase and then one at America. What do you think woke you up to make a change? Because this is not what you're doing now. No, yeah. And then most of the wake up was just kind of, I think just going through that. Um, I'd been married before and then I'd gotten a divorce between in the midst of those jobs and actually yeah. I was actually being let go from one position and going through the divorce I got a job at the other second place I worked at which is similar enough but mm-hmm. just kind of a whole almost a full decade worth of my life kind of in this area split down the middle with the divorce kind of like really set me on a new course that was something I'd never prepared my young mind for mm-hmm. so it's like I never foresee, foresaw this future for me as a child or as a youngster or even as like a young adult as being I was about 27 I think and then going through the divorce, I was like, I was a, almost a fully realized adult. And it's like yeah. everything you had a vision for, not that I had much, you just don't think about this way. Mm. And then it's like, oh, this whole job, what is this? What am I doing? What is anything that I like to do? Who am I? What do I enjoy? Right. And it all started just like, yeah. Very overwhelming. And the job just like exemplified. Exactly. Look what you're doing, getting paid decent money to just come in and right. drink coffee. Right. <laughs> What did your younger self imagine? Like, what? how did you see yourself, like, with a wife and kids, yeah. or what was the picture? Yeah, it kind of is that where it's like I was raised by, my parents were great, Christian and Catholic, and mostly just not very overbearing about it in any regard, which was very nice. My parents were very rational and laid out a pretty rational plan for a lot of things that we did. My brother and I kind of just bought into it. Mm. And it was kind of that really easy, really run-of-the-mill-up average American, just like, it all kind of 
was all right and never had very many problems. Yeah. Just like, we're just worried about who we're going to date or who we're going to math test or failing, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that, you know? So like my younger self, like never really actively thought about it, but it always just kind of envisioned like, yeah, my life will be good in the future. I'll like, look, my parents are happy and married. So like, I didn't think that that's what I would have, but I'm sure my brain was being conditioned to see just like two people that got along and yeah. I just all things just worked. Right. And they're efficient at being parents and we're efficient at like as a family unit. It just kind of works. So I was kind of like, yes, yeah, so I'll just work. Mm-hmm. Just, I'll just sit in my canoe and just float down the river. And then the whole job and the divorce thing was going on. And then like mm-hmm. the divorce thing was rough, but I kind of got over it by like actually subconsciously that I realized I was like, oh, this is incredibly liberating. Mm-hmm. This is a good thing. Yeah. Like you have to go through that pain and trauma of like realizing it, which is all process that we all go through. But like it allowed me to finally, finally take that final step into something that's kind of baseline my whole life. It was like, who actually am I? Yeah. So I never really liked the plan laid out mm-hmm. by any indoctrinated religion or parental or school or name something that could condition you to follow a path. Right. And it's kind of like, I've always kind of like just shunned it, but also like walked it because I just like to be an introvert and not have to go with any problems. But in the same token, it was like, it finally gave me that open door. It's like, all right, world's open. You have nothing tied in you to anything at all. And this job is completely dumb. This is the existential crisis mm-hmm. when you hit that moment of what is my yeah. meaning in the world. So it's like a lot of us get to that, to that point become overwhelmed. It was like the other side of that. Mm-hmm. The rise of like, oh, this whole world is mine if I want to. Yes, exactly. exactly. Not even like in an ego way, just more like, oh, I can go check out anything mm-hmm. I want to do right now. Right, exactly. So how did you wake up though, right? Like was there such time spent in that world living with those values with so much pain or suffering? No, like what, that was, what was going on? I was like a happy person. Yeah, I never okay. Like the same, I've never really been sad until like recently in my life when I've like mm-hmm. started to look at the world as the way it is. But it's like you kind of go through the world just like you go to school, you do good in your test because that's what you got to do because mm-hmm. you got to get into college. And yeah. You just do your homework, you go play basketball after school, you hang out with your friends, you try to find someone who can buy you alcohol on the weekends, you get find someone's basement to drink in, or some woods to go build a fire mm-hmm. in, it's like, you mm-hmm. play basketball in yeah. high school, and you play basketball, and it's kind of, that was just, like, life, and it's mm-hmm. like, it was fun, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, there's an awakening point where you hit, going through what I went through, and it's just kind of like, oh, okay, well, I'm an adult now, I have stuff, and yeah, I think I want to probe there even deeper sure. because the awakening, I think, well, so you're talking about how the divorce and the job really did that, mm-hmm. but people can stay in that location and be completely immobile and afraid of changing from where they're at because there is security in what has already been established. Yeah. And I, I suffer from that a lot. Yeah. Most people do. And it's very, I, I'm a tourist. So it's kind of like anything that's changed. I'm like, oh, I got to get off the couch and learn something new. Yeah. It's like, that's a pain in the ass. But it's like. It's just part of life is getting over it. But the trick is, it's kind of trying to really evaluate who you are and what your needs mm-hmm. are and realizing it's like, is this something I've just been conditioning to walk in this path for? Or do I want to even be on it? Yeah. Just, do I want to do it? Or do I want to continue on it? There's also right. that where it's like, yeah, this is the right decision for me. The divorce in the specifically, specifically helped me figure out how I emote and how I communicate in the world yeah. more often. We start to figure out needs where it's like, my partner is fine and she was, we were actually in love, but it was also like a love that wasn't based on anything because it was just like you meet when you're young and you, mm. you're both attractive in college and you date because it's fun and there's flirt and then you just continue because it's, it works because you're both responsible. Going forward, I need to reevaluate how this stuff is processed inside yeah. of me subconsciously as opposed to just going off what I feel and what I think. Right. I'm more being awake, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You guys should be aware of what you're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they talk about the relationship escalator. Have you heard this term? Mm-hmm. It's like just basically exactly what you're talking about of just like, oh, you, you date here and then you fall in love and then you get married and then you have kids. And if you don't hit those like milestones, you're not necessarily like meeting, you know, the ideal relationship. Yeah, and it wasn't even like we pressure ourselves. Like we're almost like, we both had the same values, but we both had the same needs. Mm, so it's kind of like I couldn't provide for her what yeah. she needed because she needed what I needed to provide. We're both just like just the wrong sides. You yeah. know, and we just didn't match, which was fine. Wow. So it's kind of like it just took a minute to realize that because like everything in what was love, which was kind of love, but it was also this masking idea of like we get along and we function. But obviously proposing, wedding day, this is not what's going through your head. When? <laughs> when you got married to this person, right? Oh, I was stoked. Exactly. That's what... Yeah. Because it's all good and gravy. I didn't... Because I didn't, that was the thing. I didn't know what love languages were then. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the lexicon or the codex yeah. to like understand that like this is how life functions. It's mm-hmm. more than just a 
hey, I met this person. Uh, they're an attractive woman. Uh, we're going to do a thing. We're going to hang out, meet the parents. We'll yeah. function. We'll continue going on dates. Well, time has passed. Time to get married. Well, time exactly. has passed. Time to do this. And then eventually, you know, it's like buy a house, have kids, do that, retire, go to Florida, you know, die. It's kind of like, is that the, is that the plan? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Is that, the, is, that, is that the playbook? So I'm intrigued then. What do you feel like you learned from the divorce that like is affecting from how listen. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's already interrupt. <laughs> exactly. It's like so listening. <laughs> Uh, that's ironic. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. That's Because <laughs> you're currently. I thought I thought about this question. I think about oh, it. Oh, really? A lot. Yeah. Like, what have you learned to listen to people? Can you, okay, tell me more. Even if you think you're smart, you think you know what you've got going on, and you got the right answer. It's like, but like, you really gotta listen to what people are not only saying, but like what they're saying without saying things. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like my, for example, like I've had partners that suffer with anxiety, kind of thing. You know that before I had like any idea what that meant for the world, I kind of just projected my own feelings upon it just like didn't really listen because I didn't really suffer from it so I didn't get it yeah. and I'm like what's the problem it's like just just do this do that and it's like yeah but there's a thing behind it Drew you're not understanding mm-hmm. so it's kind of like when I say listen it's more like grasp what that person is really trying to get across and not so much like just the words that they're saying but like and not even the body language that they're admitting those are just forms of communication right I'm talking about all of it what they're coming from and who they are mm-hmm. and that's something that's like had I done that earlier we would have just broken up a couple years ago oh you think so well, I mean, yeah. I think I, that's the thing. I think anyone with the knowledge they know now about stuff, not so much a hindsight. Yeah. But if you learn these, I kind of refer to them as tools almost. Like learn about love languages, like as a tool to me. I'm like, sure. oh, cool. yes. a, way to, a way to explain something, a way to exactly. understand a language, the psyche and emotional connection that we mm-hmm. have to make that can't be really written down anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's a system of tools to understand traumas and love languages and how this person functions to their core. Right. And not so like you can just know about them for the sake of that knowledge, but to truly understand them in their times of need. Mm. Because like if you're not providing need, providing for them in their times of need, then it's kind of like, that's really up to how much you would like to with your own consent to provide. But it's also like, if you're going to sign up for a relationship or a marriage, then like you should probably be fully open to fulfilling all those needs emotionally and spiritually and physically and, but then it's tricky because where do you call in that independence of like your partner needs to be able to fulfill their needs on their own? Mm-hmm. So then it gets tricky. They should yeah. be able to do that and we should be there. I, I don't know. Well, and as you were saying that, I was thinking about something that I know we talked about. My understanding of the world is so drastically different than your understanding of the world because we are two unique individuals that have had a history of different life experiences that shape how we exist how we understand language, how we understand all of this. So like when you put that sort of dynamic into a partnership, you have to understand that they're coming from a whole different view of the world. You see eye to eye on a lot of stuff and you have values, but like truly how they see that, like we'll never understand regardless of our deepest attempts to understand other people. We can't. Exactly. Which I think is beautiful, right? As someone like going into the field of psychology, there was someone who I had talked to like early on who I was just like, how would I ever have therapy with someone who's older than me, right? Like, how could I ever understand their experience? Yeah, and he gave me some great advice, and he was like, well, you don't. And that's the thing, is you ask them, okay, I recognize that I don't get fully your world, so please tell me. Yeah, it's almost like that's the trick, because it's like, you almost go into it, trying not to, like, be a therapist for it, but just try to relate. Just be, oh, yeah. be like, a, like a, not so much a mirror, but a trying to think of a word, but it's a way for them to help understand themselves better almost mm-hmm. in a way. Because it's like, you definitely couldn't relate to someone who was 80 because you haven't gone through like, no. all those experiences. Nothing. Well, the time periods have changed to, to even be 10 years apart, but 50 exactly. years apart, you know, like the decades of how those, the context of their life in a different era as well, in this time frame as well. But like, so the trick would be like, I think it would be straddle the middle ground, like just allow them to understand their own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the trick with the relationship that is like not so much inject my values into a partner but to allow them to see the lessons that I've learned in my own existence mm-hmm. um, if I can you gotta let someone else figure it out mm-hmm. and not so much like don't give them advice like let them fail it's more of you gotta find a way for someone to understand it in the way that they understand it mm-hmm. so it's like it's cool if you're explaining something in a way that makes sense to you but like the point of being like to be supportive and listen truly in the partnership is like are you allowing that partner to truly be who they are mm-hmm. and give them a stage, not so much subservient, but just like allowing them a space to grow. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I think in the same way, like when you talk about existentialism and the meaning, right? Like once you figure out everything, there is no objective meaning, then you see the beauty and the fact that from there you can create it. And in the same way where you might never understand fully the perspective of another human, great. What a beautiful story to continually ask and like learn more from. It's a never ending experience. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of times, like some of the writers that talk about even like sexual chemistry and these other pieces, have you heard of Esther Perel? She wrote this book, Mating in Captivity, and it sometimes talks about how like we make this failed assumption when we think we understand our partners fully. And in that we like lose our sexual attraction because we just assume we know all of it versus like recognizing that this is a completely dynamic human that is always going to be evolving and changing just like you. And in that you could find like deeper sexual fulfillment. Yeah. And like what a, even a larger even viewpoint what, what a terrible way to be a scientist to assume you're an expert in a field that knows oh, yeah. all things in this field. And then when you apply it to relationships or sexual experience, it's like uh, so much heavier price to pay for being inevitably wrong sure. that you know everything about what's going on right now, especially with another person. So it's like, be careful when you assume that you're like, I know everything about this partner. It's like, yeah. are you going to pay the price? Well, right. And there is some reality to like the longer you spend with someone, the more you might learn about them. And then it's tricky because like, just as humans, we love structure. We love repetition. We love these things that ground us. So we create schemas in our brain. Like this is who this person is. Like we really like to, I I know regardless. Exactly. We love love it. (laughs) Yeah. We just put things in boxes. This is this, this is coded as that. And then we hate when it's really more of this thing. Exactly. Which makes sense. Right like as you know animals that need exactly exactly it makes a lot of sense so it's like and equally we also have the cognitive capacities to rise above this so how do we use that responsibly and not torture ourselves in the process it's like how how easy is it to be a toxic partner when like say your partner's having like an anxiety attack Mm -hmm. and you're able to reduce it to like Oh, whatever. She goes again. Oh, yeah. It's like, what a, what a thing you hear so much of in relationships and on TV shows. And it's yeah. Like that, not so much that phrasing with that example, but that attitude. Mm-hmm. of just kind of like, yeah. there's my partner being whatever. And it's like, are you really understanding what's going on? Mm-hmm. Do you really? And even if you don't, do you care? Yep. And if you don't, that's fine, I guess, because you're not required to care about anyone. But mm-hmm. why are you in this relationship? Yeah, I think as humans, we love narratives. So when something like that comes up, we want to put it into the context of like, my partner's acting this way because of this past thing. So here's a narrative, I'm going to project all of it. And they talk about how like, we're naturally going to do that to try and make sense of our meaning. But when you are projecting about your partners, it's best to try and project them in the most positive light you can, right? Because the opposite is what they do. And it's like a sense of elitism more that comes from more. Because like when you do that thing where it's like, oh, that's them doing that. Yeah. It gives you a sense of knowledge and power. And you're like, well, I knew that was going to happen. It gives you that cynical, snide view of the world right. where you're like, I'm smarter than these people because I figured it out. So yeah. And for sure. <laughs> and, I, and I know like, Truly romantic sexual relationships are different than platonic relationships, but equally they're very similar in a lot of ways. Like, could you imagine if you had a best friend that you looked at that way where every time you went to hang out with them, you're like, oh, they're doing this again. It's like, we, we don't do that. We choose to hope and believe in the positive narratives of the people around us, but somehow with partners or living partners, you know, married, whatever, you know, yeah, yes. And I think we forget that a lot of that's like discipline. Yeah, it is, it, I, I would say it's discipline. It's a good word for it. Yeah, of choosing to see the best mm-hmm. side. Because now you currently live with someone that you've been with for a long it's time. It's a responsibility yeah. at that point, even. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, cause it's like, you owe it to people if you're going to commit to this lifestyle. So, how do you exist in your relationship now? That's a good question. It's, it's interesting, because some days I don't feel like it's that much different, and then I start to feel guilty about myself. Ooh, yeah. But then sometimes I, like, stop and have to think, and I'm like, no, this is a valid emotion to share and feel. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's all give and take, where it's like, because that's, I, I just have way, I guess to answer your question, I have way, way less pride mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. whatever it is we're talking about. Yeah. And it's like, not in, like, a sense where I'm shameful now, because I think that's where people view it as, like, opposite of pride is shame. And I think pride is kind of generally more of a negative quality to be possessed a lot of times because part of being a partnership is it's not so much a sacrifice itself it's more just like you enter into a team and that's the mm-hmm. sacrifice is the pride of like i don't want to help because i shouldn't have to mm-hmm. it's like that's where it's like man if you help we both win or if you don't help we both lose it's like come on like that's just it 
So that's where I come into a lot more is just like keeping that elitism at bay, keeping that pride at bay, listening mm-hmm. more. Do you feel like the socialization of male constructs and norms really led into that as well? Naturally, I've always kind of like not really naturally occupied those roles. I have much more androgynous yeah. lifestyles and viewpoints and much more mm-hmm. feminine qualities. And this new partnership allows me to foster those more. Okay. Having known some of these things may have helped my previous relationships for sure. Mm. How has it felt to accept the more androgynous sides of yourself? Freeing. Mm. It's never like I've ever been trapped, which is more like it all makes more sense now. Specifically in my partnership, I'm very much the dishes, laundry I guy. I love it, yes. I take out the trash, I clean the counters, like, mm-hmm. I clean the pieces, and it's just like, not that my partner doesn't help at all. They mow the grass, mm-hmm. And I just throw a fit and make it fun. Like, I mow the grass, too. Mm-hmm. But just kind of like a thing where, like, we'll even we'll almost just mock it in a joking way. And even that's, like, external things that you're doing, and I think even accepting more of the feminine, like, intrinsic qualities of yourself. Mm-hmm. How has that been? It's been nice to just understand, because you live in a world where it's kind of like if you have any kind of feelings, you're a wimp. Being as, as much of a sad person as I've always kind of been internally, just kind of like it's made more sense to realize you're like, oh, you just have much more empathy around you at all times. And not so much like, oh, I care, care and cry at movies, but it's like, I just worry. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got that, I got that mother's worry heart kind of thing. Right. It's like, oh, cool. I feel like I want to hear what you would say to your younger self. Yeah. So... I don't want to overspeak because that's the thing. Like, I never really had any much questioning about myself as a kid. Yeah. I just never really thought about it. To any kid that's like worried about any of those feelings of feeling yeah. more androgynous or feminine in any regard, yeah. like go ahead and just embrace it because the world's changing. Whatever those qualities are, just figure out how to harness whatever, mm-hmm. whatever good comes with it and whatever evil comes with it because like everything has it, all the sides of everything. And in doing that, you feel so much more joy because you're living your authentic life. There is a selfish, amazing component to this Mm -hmm. that you feel happier. And then by doing so, you're able to love other people better equally. I mean, it's a win-win. You set yourself up for more success by filling in half the blanks already. Right. But then dealing with the criticism, but knowing that it's worth it. And eventually you'll find your community. And it's, and it's easier to deal with the criticism when you know who you are. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. And you do it from a place out of, not out of anger, but out sure. of like self-worth and sense of like justice. Right. Like just not caring. Why people accept you and love you for who you are. It's so hard though when you don't see those people, right? Yeah. Like I mean, we live this life or we live on this, this is going to get really metaphorical. But when you're driving, when you're exploring the world, like you look out and all you can see is what's directly around you. But you equally know that there, we live on a globe, you know, we live on a round rock, curved, not flat earth. <laughs> um, I know, right? Um, but you can't see the whole earth, right? Like this is like, this is something that you have to trust. I love this point. I know. And so like, I was trying to think about like, in that trust, you're trusting in the abundance of the earth that is beyond what you can currently see. And I was trying to tell myself this in the relationship of getting over someone that's been very painful, uh, that like, even though I can't see the beautiful relationships that I will create in the future, I have to trust mm-hmm. knowing that there it, it's around, like, it's, yeah, exactly. I just can't see. It. And in the same way, like when you're stuck in these places of like not being able to find friends, because when I was younger, I never thought that I would find the friends that I felt so authentic with. Cause it, you were just looking within our perspective of, you know, Know, this school or this community and like trusting that there's so much more people out there mm-hmm. where you can be your authentic self and be exactly. loved and embraced for those qualities like that's a very um, helpful sentiment saying <sighs> into it i think trying to find who you are and being yourself with a capital s allows you higher opportunities and probability to just find those people mm-hmm. oh, oh so yeah it's like yeah it's like pat yourself on the back give your hug like there are plenty of people out here to help and I can mm-hmm. find my tribe. And mm-hmm. then the trick is like jump in and then swim where you need to be swimming to. Mm-hmm. And then those people will surround you. will find those people along the way. Mm-hmm. And it's like you won't fill yourself with. I think I got to the point before I met my current partner, which is she's my best friend. And yeah. I couldn't imagine a human I get along with better. 99% luck is just what it is, I think, yeah. most of the time. But the only 1% I can give my own credit is I just kind of just just threw myself into places that I like to be. And it's like, it, is, it wasn't like some sort of like prophetic, like romantic movie kind of vibe. I just quit caring in the sense of like, I would rather it never work out than to do it half-assed. Mm-hmm. I've been in bullshit relationships that right. weren't even abusive, just like lame. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just weak and not 
for sure. So it's like, I'd rather die right. than ever do that again. It, yeah. So it's like, if someone walks into my life that's perfect partner, bet. I even want to push you a little bit for a reframe. It's not that you stopped caring. Yeah. You started caring actually more, a lot more about specific values, right? Like yeah, authenticity, honesty, communication. Those became so much more than like external validation. Mm-hmm. So like, it sounds like you started caring a lot and about the things yeah. that resonated with you. It was just, I think I started caring about my boundaries and my limitations exactly. of what yeah. I needed as a person. Yes. It's like, when they walk in, they'll walk in. Yeah. Like, until then, there's no hard feelings for any other, and no one else. It's like... So, where does the vasectomy play into this timeline? Was the vasectomy with the first marriage, after? So my relationship with wanting kids growing up was kind of like, yeah, it'll happen if it happens. Somewhere in, when I was older, I just started like, yeah, I don't want kids, because you get more militant, like, egotistical, you know, young adult male, just like, I'm king of the world, I can do whatever I want. And it's like, I don't want kids. And most people go through that phase where it's like, I don't want any children. Yeah. And it kind of just, it stuck more. And it kind of got to the point where I just didn't want them. And I think it just, I think I'm just a little selfish in yeah. a lot of regards. Excuse me. Okay. <laughs> yes. Let's pause. <laughs> Why are you selfish to not want kids? Yeah, it's a good question. It's more the idea it's like, I'd rather just do what I want to do. Why is that selfish? It's not. Exactly. Right. Who do we owe this life to? I get, like, if you believe in a religious structure that says, you know, God, and this is a part of your meaning to propagate mm-hmm. the species of followers of your religion, yeah. then yeah, you might be yeah. selfish to not have kids. And that's some of the, and that's the thing. It's like, I say selfish more so catering to the, the exactly. commonality belief exactly. that this is a selfish thing. That's what I'm saying. It's not. religion and you know what? Let's reframe. I'm going to say this is the most selfless act that you could do because you're trying to save the world and reproduce less. You could very well frame it that way. Yeah. And some of the incentive, honestly, personally, I find a lot of fulfillment in that I'm getting out of the way yeah. in that regard where it's kind of like I see the ship where it's headed and I'd rather mm-hmm. just get a, not even get a lifeboat, just I'm just going to watch the sun go down. Yeah. <laughs> and even in that, I'm sure, you know, it's not like you're without family. Yeah. Family is so dynamic. It does not have to be, you know, that's biological. Kind of it's like, I've got some, any, a lot of people want to have family and it gives them great, incredible amounts of, of fulfillment in yes. thousands of ways. Yes. Then they should do it if they want to. Mm-hmm. But like the intermediate population of who may be on the fence or something, it's like the thing about this. It is kind of okay to question a lot of these indoctrination mm-hmm. yeah. beliefs. It's like, cause there's a lot of, I've always been kind of socially deviant. This is the Moby Dick, right? This is the white elephant. The white whale. The white whale whale that is elusive. We keep telling people like, oh, once you get married, you'll be happy. Once you have kids, you'll be happy. Well, now once the kids get out of the house, Mm -hmm. you'll be happy. And then it's like, well, when I retire now, because you're in your 50s, 60s, you'll be happy. And it's one of those things where it's like, I follow you see those all the time. And it's like, I have friends like that and they're great. And it's like, and they are happy. Yes. Yes. There is. Yes. And it's like, I think that's the problem is like, I'm too cynical. I mean, neither of us are parents, so it's really tricky to like comment on these things. But they talk about the, well, I mean the concept of parenting Mm -hmm. really only becoming this really big structured thing in the seventies. Um, and onward that, which is such a tragedy I've recorded, um, with some other, um, when I recorded with Nat, they talked about it, just this concept that parenting has to be this specific way. We definitely have these cookie yeah, cutter expectations. That, that yeah. Of like, this is what a parent does. You definitely drink 12 beers at a kid's, you know, softball game or, you know, or, or the, with them at the right. lake, you know, it's like that definitely happens. All the time, all the time. Exactly. And then, like, I bet parents need to do coke in the bathroom and, you know, come out and then push the kids in the swing, seeing it happen. Yeah, there's definitely, we like talked about that divide of like the concept of like, this is what a good parent does and how that can deeply pull you away from your authenticity, which always makes me wonder. And I don't know if you feel the same way where I'm like, am I against the idea of children because it seems like a loss of my authentic self in some way when really it, like I, maybe that's just letting go of another societal expectation. Tell me that if I had a kid, it would have to be this way. There is a lot that you have to pour into a kid. Though. Oh, oh my God. It's, oh my like, God. it's almost yes. like, so you, much time. I know you came Money. to yourself. It's almost like I'm not even worried I would ever lose myself. It's just more like, it comes back to this. Like I don't want to work that hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is fine. Not it. everyone has to become a doctor and work a hundred hours a week. I've been leaning more towards the concept of me having kids. So yeah, maybe. Yeah. There's always that idea where it's like, I could talk my, I could gas myself up into it. I'm just not ready for this right now at all, right? Like, not even close, but like, I, I do think, like, when I think about 
the shortness of our lives and like just truly when you zoom out to the grandness of the earth we're just like these really small small beings that are just going to become dust and in that like what love and capacity could I pass on to another human like just like the deepest relationship and maybe the family structure that I wish I could have had Mm -hmm. and like in that obviously yes time so much you invest but do you in turn reap a beauty that you would never know if you had not invested that energy, love, and devotion. So so every parent says, right? But like obviously the reality is once you're a parent, you can't unbe a parent, so they're biased interviewers. Like we don't truly know. Exactly. And that's the thing. <laughs> you know. Both of us are biased and both of us For are sure. biased on both sides. Exactly. Like, you're like, well, we know it's like not kids, but like, no, you've never really gone through it where it's yeah. like you've actually seen that differentiation. It's probably like that one um speech I had told you about the monogamy where they had like referenced that like, oh, you choose monogamy. You get bored, but you build a deep, loving relationship. Or you choose polyamory, you have chaos and jealousy, but it's always dynamic. <laughs> and you're like, ah, pick one, they both suck. And I'm sure it's the same thing in its own way with kids, right? Like, you lose a lot of time, you invest this and all that and have to be responsible for that, but you enjoy and the a, love. A lot of what you just stated, you need to address that inside yourself. Uh, all of, like, uh, the fulfillment, the the... the Spreading your joy to a person, becoming yourself, seeing yourself reflected, reflecting yourself, themselves and you and learning. The... I, I would assume before you decide whether you want to have kids or not, it's important to check in that having kids won't solve your existential crisis. Yeah. It won't just like that perfect marriage won't make your life. Yeah. And that's the thing. Work. And that's the thing. Yeah. The two sides of the argument thing that we're doing where it's like, on one hand, you need to have kids because it's like, what else are you going to do? And that's stuff that's yeah. I think I come to those terms where like, but on one hand, that'd be so cool. It's like, what if little junior had a softball game to go to today? Yeah. Know, so it'd be fun. I'm such like a nihilist and a scared introvert myself anyway. But I'm always like, yeah, you know, I was going to go through like him striking out and getting cut, getting broken up with at school. Yeah. Getting beat up or getting, you know, made fun of or not being good at something. And it's like, just like the existential pain of existing. It's also like you pass it on another human where now they're alive mm-hmm. and they got to go through or you go through. It's interesting. I hate that I, I always fucking say that on this podcast as I've gone through what? editing. Every single time I go to say some t- like something, it's interesting. And then I just like say some idea. And so I, when I was consciously editing, I was like, you're not going to do this anymore. You got this. Okay, so this is just an existential philosophical question. So when I recorded with the pastor, or when I recorded with the bishop, I was telling her my problems, my qualms with God. That one of my like philosophical questions that I was always a little bit angry about was that why would God create at all if this world has so much suffering? Like if he would have just never created anything, there would have been no pain and there would have been no joy. It would have just been net neutral. Like from a utilitarian standpoint of like, if we're just weighing out pros, cons, all the suffering, why would God create it all? And then as you're speaking, talking about like the woes of life, of like, you know, your son striking out of the game, all these other things, I'm thinking like, damn, I am just in the position of God in the sense of like, do I want to create this other being that is going to go it through is. pain and suffering and I'm subjecting it to the reality that there will be pain. Like, There's now a whole oh my God. camera to have opinions and perspective upon and feelings and... And is that out. fair? Well, I think that's a lot of the ethical questions now that people like our age are having if, if just like given the world's current trajectory with climate change is it ethical to bring in a child that might have to suffer the ramifications of generations and that's the thing like before you said all that it's a question exactly now, what you just said it's a oh i know like it's not even like oh man worry about johnny you know not making the school team or Susie doing this or it's like i hope my children will have jobs I hope my children will have property to purchase. I hope they have air, air, air to breathe. Water to like not be yeah. subsidized by Nestle. I wonder that. And then I'm like, have years of like people just always been saying this? Like the world's going to burn, the world's going to burn. And we're just those people saying the world's going to burn. But there's truly, that. it's, it's going to exist for a lot longer than there's, we think. There's that old timer thing. Talk, and I do that a lot because I'm very... So I'm like, I don't, yeah, I don't want to be the old people. But for years, yeah, back in the day when they had like... Naked guys running around with signs that the end is near. They yeah. also didn't have corroborated scientific studies showcasing that the Earth's oceans are rising in the national well, right. <laughs> Yes, like, climate oh, change yeah. research is very real. Yeah, we are not questioning that. Luckily, I'm like young enough for my reproductive window. If I choose to carry a child, that I could. Like, mm-hmm. I still have many years to yeah. to decide. Um, That's stressful too. Where it's yeah. like as the window of adulthood becomes like a higher platform. Yes. 
And I think this is why this is where it all comes in. Yes. I think this is where it all comes to be related for me in my mind of questions of like meaning and authenticity. These conversations we have about, you know, divorce and the meaning you take from there and the meaning you make from kids, like, and the question of should we be listening to societal thinking at all, right? Like all these things are passed down value systems that have been passed down because we're social creatures and that this has been given to us. The reality is this is a fundamentally different time than any other time in society because survival is no longer difficult. And now with all the modern age that we have, we have so much leisure time that we are asking questions of how do we find meaning in that leisure time? And this has never been done before. So looking back to like concepts like marriage, children, these things like, yes, we are social beings. There's a beauty and connection, all those things. But like, we still have so much leisure time that it's going to freak us out if you don't choose to like make meaning. There's a lot of reasons to have kids a long time ago. And those reasons are lessening now because like you don't have a farm. Okay, you exactly. You on the house to do it all, like the milking and like the dishes. Exactly. We got dishwashers. Yes. Like it's not dangerous anymore to live. It's so safe. So like. I'm thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs where okay. they talk about like, it's like this psychological blah, blah, whatever. But basically the, the main, one of the main takeaways is that you can only move up in your needs and perspective once you secure the basics. So when you are so, you know, worried about shelter, food, water, you cannot think about what is the meaning of my existence because your baseline needs have not been met. And so I just think we've reached so much higher on that now where we have so many of these other pieces where now our questions are not just like, where's water food for the winter? It is now like, why am I here? And that was, that's why existentialism was created. It was really like more recently modern because this is the modern problem of humanity. Yeah. If you want to have kids, cool. We're running out of tickets. You can have mine. And that's kind of where like some of my incentive comes in. It's mm-hmm. not even some sort of like honorable sense where yeah. I do that for people. Mm. It's just more like the all or nothing marriage I read really talked about a lot. You would love to read okay. this. It talks about the social like change through industrialization and how that changed our concept of marriage because I'm studying the non-monogamy piece. It doesn't talk too too much about kids. It does talk about like the decline mm-hmm. as we got more industrialization and needed less people on farms. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Exactly. Need two because they just need two, and like that's all we really do anymore. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so because of that, things have changed. And then the author also also looks at monogamy, and then at the same time is like, oh, like things are changing now. So it's actually a really interesting book mm-hmm. I recommend. Albeit main critique does not even mention polyamory as really like an option. So one day I'll write the commentary on that book. Uh, (laughs) No, it actually came out just recently, like a few articles. I just think, I just think that most mainstream culture, they'll talk about swinging, but not necessarily give it the full possibility. Like I think he, he, he basically says like marriage is in this rut. Here are the things that you can do to be better versus like, well, maybe you would open it up. Like I almost attribute that stuff sometimes to like, no one's ready for it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think in the same way of, like, the rise of non-binary identity in younger generations, like, where we're at of understanding will always now be a little bit disconnected from the people below us. Yeah. And, like, the people who are writing the books now are, like, a generation above, and we're, like... slow to pick up. Yeah. It's sad. I wish we go faster, and it's, like, tough to figure out, but it is that way, but it's, like, it's always on a delay. Well, then you should get on TikTok. Do what? You should get on TikTok. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, I'm saying that to myself too. Like if we want to become like to a degree, right? If we want to become socialized with like the, you know, modern ideas, it's not necessarily we're going to find that from like the younger generations below us. We're not going to find that on a news article. Like that's written from people that's our age and above. Much we complain about the old timers not getting. Exactly. That's why I'm. Exactly. So I'm like, damn, maybe I should get on TikTok and like TikTok. just try to understand the psychology. <laughs> Facebook, I, I will, I will reel us back in a little bit. So we, you decide you're going through this procedure. Did you do this when you were single? Did you do this when you were with a partner? Um, it happened recently with my current partner. Oh, okay. Um, and they actually were very helpful in like the whole process. Yeah. Like, they were very, 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 very not pushy. Mm. There's always like the scare of like being sexually active or single of like just getting a little pregnant and like that kind of thing was a massive, massive it, it caused me to stop having sex in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. my sexual health declined. Like pressure, my personal yeah. health was down. So it's like I wouldn't pursue people. Or I'm way too pragmatic and too much of a safety kind of guy. Yeah. Um, sounds like I'm advocating abstinence. 
No. Like I'm not. I was actually frustrated in my abstinence. Kind yeah. Of thing. It's like more self-imposed and like, I don't want you to be pregnant. I'm just nervous about this. So it's like. That makes sense. Really push like, I don't yeah. want kids to kill me. What the hell? It's like. It, yeah. Then it's like, okay, cool. Now that risk is gone. Yeah. And like, then you can just worry about STIs, which is still an issue, but like manageable. I think what makes you unique is why you chose to take on that responsibility to remove the variable because for years it's been put on people who have vulvas and ovaries. Yeah. One, it's a selfish thing where I'm like, cool, I'm set. Not happened to me ever. Yeah. It also gives agency to my partners because I know a lot of my part, I know most people struggle in general with birth control. Yeah. Trying to find something that works. It doesn't mess them up. If I'm going to stand up here and like try to be a good representation for men, being who I am with my values mm-hmm. and the game that I talk and the shit that I talk about, they at least stand up and then like at least get the job yeah. done. So a lot of it was that decision too, and not so much my current partner pushing it, but more mm-hmm. like my own incentive of like, you know what I can also just gift yeah. yes. and not like gift with any sense of return. Right. Just complete like I can just take this off their plate. Right. And now they can pursue what they want to do. And mm-hmm. honestly, as far as I'm aware, it's since then They'd be completely way happier. Doesn't have to take a hormonal or anything. Or anything they, pervasive nope. or anything aggressive that could cause problems. And it's like, how many people, you know, that complain about that stuff, that issues and severe otherwise. And it's like, now it's like, there's a little, there's options now to like, to do whatever you need to mm-hmm. do. So it's like, that helps me. And it gives, it gives me a sense of like, a little bit of self-worth even. Like yeah. Talk about purpose, and it's like, oh, my purpose is like I made it easier on other people. Exactly, around me. which is meaningful. So if I ever, even this partner, any other partner, now it's like you can do whatever you need to. Did it hurt? So as far as when it comes to the action, I talked to my doctor. Um, I speak, like I said, from a white cis het- hetero male. Um, I'm insured. It costs about 800 bucks after insurance, which is pretty reasonable. Not bad. For, there's a lot of stigma that you'll hear, like guys really? say that there was resistance to it. I had a buddy who actually went in. He was like 23. Asked for a vasectomy, the doctor told him no. Mm. Men get turned away, and it's because young male who can make a baby and he doesn't want to, like, they're not only going to be judged and questioned why, but they're not going to be allowed to. Yeah. Like, but, like, my advice is go to your doctor, be direct about your needs. Yeah. If they're going to resist you on this, um, then they're not the right doctor for you, and that's mm-hmm. my opinion on that. Anyway. Yeah. And I don't want to get into doctors or talk about our heroes right now, but it's like, yeah. that, as far as this goes, and it comes to this kind of reproductive health, you have. The act, yes. Can I say, right. fuck the Catholic Church on this oh my, podcast? Oh my, you can do whatever you want on this podcast. Fuck, fuck the Catholic Church. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. That's mostly, that's mostly all that indoctrination stuff comes from as mm-hmm. far as this goes, like not being able to have kids. But I get really militant on that because like that's my body, right? And that's my right as an autonomous human yes. to do what I want to do with it. I agree, you should not have to face that stigma. <laughs> no one should have to. Whoever's getting this, you're probably really nervous. Yeah. I'm sure I was. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Just do a bunch of questions and really ready yourself for all the things you need to talk about. And yeah. Think about as a person and all these things are questions of your yeah. purpose and reasonings and self-judgment and shame. Right. It's like, go ahead and make sure you're there. Like, and do that stuff. And also acknowledging that you'll never fully be there. Like, this is a new experience exactly. you're going into. Hold space for the reality that you will be scared and that's part of it. Don't try to fight that. Quote, unquote, I'm not sure I'm ready to have kids. Oh, you'll never be ready to have kids. I'm not sure I'm ready to have a vasectomy. Oh, you'll mm-hmm. never be ready to have a vasectomy. Exactly, right. All these moves right. we make. Yeah. Like, so like, it, it works both ways. Yeah, so don't like think that you need to be fully secure in everything before you do really action. Exactly. Just make it's sure you've done that's impossible. the Jedi training exactly. on like, who am I? Yes. Will I judge myself? Am I being irrational? Will I want kids? Yeah. Well, I regret this. Should I... To the best of your abilities. Yes, yeah, like get yourself prepped at least to know those questions are going to come up. Sure. I know. I, I've been fighting this lately where I get, like, stressed out about stuff like interviews and I have to accept, like, this is normal. This is part of it. And part, okay. Yeah, exactly. And acknowledging that, like, no, that's going to happen. You're going to get nervous to get up there and speak. And in accepting that, it gets so much easier. Exactly, so, like, right. I always want to push that where I'm like, yes, you'll be scared. You'll be Great. Nervous. Yeah, good. <laughs> Check, you're alive. <laughs> you're going to go in and they're yeah. going to put a needle and a knife on your testicles. Like, that's why you're nervous. Yeah. That's why. Wait, so did they sedate you? Uh, yeah. So basically, okay, yeah, yeah, so back, to, back to it. So they, you go in there, the doctor comes in, he gives you a spiel. It's basically just like, you sure? Um, it takes about 20 minutes. Damn. Tops. Damn. It's, it's easy. Yeah. It's easy. The hard part, that feels like you got a needle. Really? It hurts. If it's awkward, it's, it's terrifying. You're on your back with your knees, like, so your feet up and your knees up. 
He needles one. That one hurts like a needle, and it sucks. Yep. Second needle goes in, it sucks too, but not as bad. Kind of like going to the dentist to get Novocaine. It's like it feels like that, but on your balls. So it's not fun. Then the blade, he takes the blade. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. We go. Hold on. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, it goes. So this is the thing. It goes. It just happens. Okay, so <laughs> are you looking at... Did, could you see? I can see. I was like, did they drape? Yeah, I was going to say, I hope you weren't watching because that sounds horrible. I was breathing. He chit-chatted. Like, he just chit-chatted through the thing. Talked about just random stuff. You know, it was COVID times. So I was like, how about this COVID? How about this weather? You know, that garbage. So the needles go in, and that's the... That's the, that's the Local anesthetic, I would mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah. Okay, and then how... Did it hit pretty quickly? So he takes the blade, and so he lasts about 30 seconds, and he takes the blade and touches it. He goes, how about that? I go, nope. And he goes to work. <gasps> so we just chit-chat through it. Like I said, it takes like, that takes like 10 minutes after he does that. So wow. you're halfway done, is my point. So I think, so the, 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 the proverbial question is like, do you feel nothing else after that? Yeah. Um, you feel the needles? Um, the only thing that's weird during the procedure is in order to cut the vast deference, he makes an incision and he pulls the vast deference, a little tube out a little yeah. bit. You feel that. Not so much as a pain. But you feel the physical sensation. Ooh. So that's part of the existential mental prep you have to go in doing that is remind yourself Maybe that you're a mechanism. Yeah. You're a series of tubes and pulleys and pumps and yeah. you will feel physical feel. matter being pulled around down there. He cuts the vast deference and they cauterize it shut. So you smell the little tube being Burning, burned yeah. off. So that was kind of like, I'm really dark. So it's kind of like that metaphorical, like, <laughs> the last of my seed. Wash it off in the basement. I hope it's not good. <laughs> so like burnt hair. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, like just like burning flesh. Burning yeah, that's what it is. Amazing. Just if you can sit for a tattoo for five hours, you can get a vasectomy and not in blank. I feel like a lot of people are going to be like needle in my scrotum, though. Like absolutely not. It, a lot. I, no I, would, I would imagine that ninety percent of the breaking point for people getting a vasectomy is just that. That. It's exactly what you'd expect, but it's exactly not as bad as mm. it actually is. Because every time you ever get a shot and it's gone, and yeah, it's, it's like any pain, it's, exactly. it lasts two seconds. Exactly. Uh, they make a tiny quarter-inch incision, right. and they snip off a tiny little two-millimeter tube, and they sew you back up. This moment, yes, of a sharp needle compared to people who have had to take hormonal birth control for years and suffer breakouts, weight gain, their concept of self being different because the hormones affect their brain and their existence. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like, yeah, fucking suck it up. People have been doing this for years. It's your turn. Sign up. I can't compare it to a tattoo. Oh really? Is a tattoo worse? I mean, I don't have any, so I don't know. Only because it takes 10 hours. Yeah, of that pain <laughs> compared to like a second. Like, if you can sit for a tattoo, it's like, Christ, you can sit for a vasectomy. That's going to be the title. Yeah. If you can have a tattoo, you can get a vasectomy. You can sit for a vasectomy, <laughs> you can sit for a tattoo. Exactly. Awesome. That being said, as far yes, as pain goes, sure. you're sore as fuck. Really? For about a week. Damn. If you've ever been kicked in the nuts before, it's like that feeling. Did they give you meds? Yeah, you have painkillers. Okay, so it's not so bad. I didn't take any. Okay, well then also... <laughs> they would have helped. I yeah, exactly. Like, that's really, an out I'm for people. Really into, I'm just not really into pee. Yes, for sure. Um, totally. Especially given their history. And that's just like my personal preference. Yep. If you want to take them, they give them to you. So I took a week off work. I sat on frozen peas. And I read a book. Yeah. For, I just sat. And that's the thing. Prepare for that. Aftercare is the most important, important thing. Mm-hmm. It'll heal. You'll never be there for I've had no issues. Give it one, give it two weeks. Take yeah, time, take not? it slow. Yeah, relax. Yeah. Prepare with what you have, decompress with what you just mm-hmm. did. Because, like, you probably are really hyper terrifyingly nervous coming up to this. You've done a ton of existential crisis work. Yeah. You've done a ton of thought process on this. You probably apologized to your bishop and your mom and dad <laughs> and all the people you're going to fail, you know, and not be a parent. Yeah. And, like, you you apologize to Mr. Moneybags because you're not going to make more little industrial capitalists to feed into the workflow, you know. But yeah. then it's like, take care of yourself. And then it'll heal. It's pretty much like a tattoo. If you get a tattoo, the next day I'm always aftercare. Yeah. Because like you said, your body just punched a thousand times, Mm -hmm. millions of times. Definitely. Um, Same similar thing. After about four weeks, they do a semen test um, to check to see if you still have any guys. Um, And after about eight weeks, they do another one just to double check. Uh, Then I was clear. Easy. And it's basically that's it. 
that. Then you've given you're a beautiful gift, yeah. You're less clean. stress. Less stress pressure on I was you. Doing I'm cured. Yeah, you're cured. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's important, you know, talking Not about like... Flippant, but yeah. Yeah, no, like the allow, the ability to relax now in sexual encounters for you where this is that not too. a running concern. That is a huge gift for yourself. Now, at this goal, we go back to not worrying as right. much about those things that we have precautions in place exactly. for. Exactly. Which is a beautiful gift that I would imagine makes There's sexual no encounters fear. better because, yeah, you've removed that piece. Like, how many times is, like, oh, someone listened to this podcast, you know, like, done the deed and then sat there worrying the next day they had to go somewhere and buy emergency contraceptive. Yeah. That, that fear, that money, that shame, whatever, that shouldn't, that shouldn't be an issue anyway. But they have to go through because our society is this way. Yeah. And it's like, now imagine that doesn't have to happen anymore. Right. So a lot of that fear is gone. It's just say, use less Exactly. Stress. Exactly. I don't worry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I forget I even have one. It was worth the... There's no changing color, volume, sensation, energy. My desire is probably higher now because that fear is gone. Gone, so like, yeah. Just free, free coins. Yeah, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for bringing all this and sharing your whole story. I do have to ask you one more question that I ask everybody on the podcast. Sure. What is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? That's a great question. I think not having to live your life for someone else mm-hmm. is just should be more normal. And I think it is normal. It's more like, I guess, do your research on your own self and reflection to understand if those influences are actually good for who you are mm-hmm. um, and what you need and what your needs are. And it's so much like not even questioning the systems because some systems are good. It's challenging whether those systems are right for you. And it's kind of like, be yourself. And it's very reductionary to say be yourself, but it's very much that. Find your own path that is what you need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Thank you for encapsulating the podcast in one sentence. <laughs> it might have been a couple of sentences. Right? But that that's exactly what I hope this does for people is, you know, getting to connect into other real humans who are just like, yeah, I question the system came out and this is what I'm doing. Decondition yourself. The status quo, not conscious objectors to the status quo. And you just are like, yeah, don't take the status quo. I love the don't status take- quo. Exactly. Make your own. Damn it. That's the point of the podcast, right? So I was like, yes, preach, preach. That is a beautiful closing prayer. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, good. I'm glad. (laughs) If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show. 